Welcome to the Rebecca Panapinto Project. Today, I'm very excited to host a dear friend named Todd Featherling. For over 30 years, Todd has developed skills within healthcare information technology and analytics that he uses to help clients identify and analyze patterns to improve patient care outcomes at lower costs with accelerated revenue growth. He brings expertise in disease prediction, demographics, clustering, marketing, research, big data, and media to help healthcare organizations manage risk for patients and communities, all while enabling them to improve their quality of life. Todd currently serves as a managing director for Huron. Now, previous to this, he was the founder and chief data scientist of Perception Health, who joined Huron by acquisition just late last year. Featherling's career has been a series of firsts within various different industry segments. He built one of the first public health portals for Hospital Corporation of America, created the first home health use rates, directed the first live surgery and first live birth on the internet, and now he is bringing the first cloud-based care management system to life. As you can see, Todd is a serial entrepreneur and very interesting personality who's been a great friend and mentor throughout the years. Enjoy the show. Todd Featherling, how are you? I am great, Rebecca. How are you today? Life is good. So good to see your smiling face. So good to see you as well. We miss you here in Nashville. Thank you. I still pop in every once in a while, see my people. There's no place like Nashville. Absolutely. Music City, USA. That's where you've spent really your whole career. So you have deep roots in Nashville. I love it. Yes, born and bred. Uh, I hadn't made it very far in life. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. I think anybody who saw the introduction to this podcast knows that's not true. So uh, let's dive into your story. I think it's so intriguing. I mean, you've been a lot of places, done a lot of things, and I think made just a huge impact in the Nashville scene. But all of it starting actually, funny enough, where I, had my first Nashville job as well at Hospital Corporation of America, the famous HCA. I selfishly went there because I just wanted the logo on my resume. <laughs> and I checked that box and I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to go get into sales. Um, but you really made a huge impact there. And you had this term that you used of your time there where you were an entrepreneur. Let's start chatting with your experiences there. What does an entrepreneur look like? And what was the impact you were able to make at HCA early in your career? Yeah, so uh, for me, an entrepreneur in that experience was uh, CEO of the company, Rick Scott, now Senator Scott, uh, asked me to run the internet department. This was 95 when the internet was still in its infancy. And so I had to literally create a product, the team, go to market strategy, the whole, the whole nine yards for a $25 billion corporation. And I, I, I remember uh, today, and, and I still experience it a lot uh, in my current work, uh, where I did my first presentation of what this was going to look like. And so uh, I was in front of probably 300 executives from across the country. And I said, take your mouse. And somebody raised their hand and goes, what's a mouse? Like, you know, this is 95. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> back way up. And uh, so out of that experience, really learned how to step-by-step step move from ID, ideation, idea to uh, development, to technology, to product management, and uh, really laid the groundwork uh, for the rest of my entrepreneurial experiences. So did you catch the bug at HCA or oh, yeah. was it already in there? Well, <laughs> you know. 
as a kid, I used to wash uh, uh, windows, uh, downtown Springfield, okay. Tennessee, uh, and I'd get paid, you know, like 10 bucks to wash the front of a uh, building. So I, I was probably always a little bit of an entrepreneur, even as a kid. But uh, when, when I got to HCA, uh, I always thought I'd be director of research for a large corporation. That was my number one goal coming out of college. Uh, that experience sort of told me that's not where I'm going to go. Uh, I need to be creating, building, and uh, I really did catch the entrepreneurial bug there uh, at HCA. Love it. I have to say, I mean, kudos to HCA, even though they are this massive cruise ship moving along through the ocean, they have actually created a lot of entrepreneurs and they have been a huge part of the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Nashville. Yeah. And, you know, dating all the way back to uh, uh, Bovender and Frist and Massey uh, back in 1968, I think it was, uh, when the company was first formed, uh, it, it is like the entrepreneurial outgrowth. I mean, we have a whole family tree in Nashville mm -hmm. of all of the companies who have spun out of that organization. Yeah, I think it's great. I think they have, in some cases, enough self-awareness to be like, yeah, you can't breed that innovation within our ecosystem. So go do it over here. We'll fund you. We'll help you. And then in a few years, we'll buy you. <laughs> and it's just built into this family tree. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, an entire ecosystem in and of itself. So then what was the catalyst for the first venture out of HCA to be an entrepreneur? Was it an idea? Was it a partnership? What was like, okay, it's time to go out on my own. Um, the idea was a little bit of timing. So um, after ATA went to the health network, uh, we created basically uh, the first integrated cable uh, television with internet activity for healthcare, and it hadn't existed before. And uh, some pretty exciting opportunities came out of that. In that case, I kind of came in to run an organization. Uh, but once I left there, that's when I started Relogen and, and really uh, wanted to see if I could make an impact in healthcare through education and content. And so we had Health Teacher, which was a K-12 health curriculum, and we had Discovery Hospital, which was a joint venture with Discovery Television. And so in a matter of 18 months, that venture really took off and uh, and, and grew to amazing uh, heights. Very cool. And then you've just continued to repeat company <laughs> star after company star after company star. But I want to, for a minute, chat about, I think where I first became familiar with you and your name, and that was when you're at the Nashville Technology Council, which is almost more philanthropic than I think entrepreneurial. Tell us about that experience. How did you become CEO of the NTC and what were you able to do while you were there? That's, that's maybe one of the funniest stories of my whole career, Rebecca. Um, so uh, I had sold uh, Relevant, the company we were just talking about with Health Teacher and Discovery. And I was literally at home working on a construction project. I was building an addition onto the house uh, for about three months. And I got a phone call from the current CEO at the Tech Council, Jeff Constantine, and also from a board member and a recruiter all in the same day, like, hey, this job is perfect for you. You need to go do this. And so this was like on a Thursday afternoon. 
and I hadn't put on a suit in months, uh, but I got all prettied up and nice. uh, went for an interview on Friday morning. And I, I found out later that uh, I was number six out of the five candidates that they were looking at and number five dropped out. So I sort of slid into that Aww. last spot. Um, and, and so the conversation during the interviews went really well. And so I was driving home from music row and got a phone call and like, Hey, you're our candidate. We want to make you an offer. And I was like, well, I didn't even think you liked me. <laughs> you know, it, was just, it was one of those, uh, pretty funny moments in my career. And, uh, so took that job and, uh, the, the interesting thing about the NTC in particular was, uh, before I even started, if you remember sort of the interactive group that was going on at the time, uh, they brought me to bar camp and literally all of the Digerati in Nashville took over my presentation. They said, Hey, let me tell you what we need. Uh, and out of that came, uh, a real, resounding uh, positive note around entrepreneurs. And at that time, we didn't have a front door for entrepreneurs in Nashville. And so the chamber was finishing up a study about entrepreneurship as part of their partnership 2020 uh, goals. And so they asked me to, hey, take this study and go, go help us implement it. And so out of that came the Entrepreneur Center. So I was full-time at the Tech Council, also starting the Entrepreneur Center at the same time. My head was on fire, uh, and, and it was really uh, an exciting time in Nashville um, back in 2008, and a lot of that work led to kind of where the city is today. Help bring Google to Nashville, if I remember correctly. That was part of yeah. one of the EC's first accomplishments, which is pretty cool. Yeah, we brought their sponsorship and uh, out of that, multiple companies out of Nashville wound up going to Google Days and presenting okay. out on the West Coast. And uh, that has become a great partnership uh, between the EC still going on today. I like it. So made that huge impact of which I later on was very happy to benefit from as well within the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Nashville. But then you got the bug again. <laughs> <laughs> and you had to start another company, which was it was Stratazen next, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And it was the one of the first companies at the EC, uh, which was okay. good because I co-located the NTC and the EC together at 105 Broadway, if you remember uh, yeah. that, that uh, address. And so we found an opportunity within some of the state data, health data opportunities that were out there and started aggregating some of that information together. And that's what formed the basis of that company. And uh, uh, that company has really done well. I, I'd say um, the thing that I get most excited about is building sustainable businesses, the ones that stick around for years to come, because that's how you know you're contributing, whether it's to a city like through the Tech Council or health education like Health Teacher, um, those things that stick around really, really make a big impact. Yeah. And as far as I know, Stratison still is operating today. Yes. Yeah. They're still going at it. Uh, mm -hmm. In 2014, I wanted to go in a different direction than the company did. And that's what led to Perception Health and uh, forming that company. I did, I did take the whole weekend off though, you know, to recharge. One weekend. Nice. And, and get back started on Monday. So. <laughs> 
Sounds about right. Oh, I love it. Okay. So now perception health, where you spent the bulk of the last handful of years there, a lot of the time uh, that again, I knew you in Nashville. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, recent exit. So congratulations. And yeah, we can talk you. about that more in a minute, but let's talk about really the problems you solve for healthcare through perception health. And, you know, the theme of this show is what does digital transformation mean in the context of your business? So I want to understand your perspective of perception health and the impact you guys have been able to make in healthcare by leveraging digital. Yeah, it was um, uh, first day we started the company. Uh, we had a great view at 301 plus park of downtown Nashville. Uh, mm -hmm. We didn't have a whiteboard. So literally wrote on a glass window what our strategy was. Uh, Chris McLaren, my co-founder and I had envisioned that we could get really close to a real-time care command center. So uh, think about looking at a dashboard and seeing yellow lights pop up throughout the day where patients are showing up at a healthcare facility. They need services. We need to figure out the payment, the authorization for those payments, the claims for those patients. And that, that whole life cycle of trying to reduce friction in healthcare between patient, provider, and payer. Uh, so that real-time real care command center was, was the original vision. So in order to do it, we knew we had to look across a population. We needed to know who was at risk for showing up tomorrow, what diseases did we predict they were going to have, and then ultimately, what was the best provider network to give care to those patients? So. We wrote down three terms, care, team, and code. And uh, believe it or not, even after eight years and, and now working with Huron, we're still trying to build all of those elements out. Uh, it, it may have been too big of a vision uh, for us to you know, execute on ourselves. And so that's part of what led to the acquisition at Huron as well as just the synergy that we have on the vision of impacting patient lives while we reduce costs. And that care transformation, I feel like I've been on this journey for 32 years trying to fix these problems and they're still here today. And we're making progress, but it's, it's never as fast as most of us entrepreneurs want it to happen. Uh, but there's also no magic wand uh, for it either. There's no one single right answer. It's really important to remind yourself of that when you get frustrated um, that not everybody is ready to, to, to see your vision and, and take action against it. Yeah. Well, healthcare is a, a huge industry and just has all kinds of different workflow and operational inefficiencies and issues that I think there definitely is a lot of room for growth to solve those problems. But you've talked about in the past, your passion for healthcare operating model transformation, and then specifically with the part of it at Perception Health that you focused on, how do you maintain that focus? Like, how do you not try to eat the whole elephant at once and ex instead be like, we're going to be the best in the world at this. And we're going to solve this one problem and then make sure, obviously, you have metrics against that to be able to call it a success at the end of the day. Yeah, I think um, the only way to not get frustrated is to really do it uh, community by community, facility by facility. Um, so we have shown where we can go into a hospital, uh, implement our growth strategies, implement our cost reduction strategies, um, and use the same data set across both of those problems. 
And that's really where there's some magic where uh, you have the ability to visualize what a patient journey looks like, where there were opportunities for improvement. And then tomorrow that same patient journey actually is improved and goes better the next time around. And so doing that repeatedly, um, especially like in areas of lung cancer where we've impacted hundreds of patients that uh, got screened, got care, and, and had lung cancer and didn't know they had lung cancer. Uh, those are the impactful stories that get me energized every day to, to get up and do what I do. So are you intentional about going to touch and, and feel this and make sure you see that, I'm going to call it end user, but I mean, it's even patient experiences from what you're impacting? Yeah, and this, this will take us all the way back 25 years ago at, at HCA. So uh, early websites that we were building and doing physician chats on AOL um, impacted lives. I, I used to get emails from people all the time like, I had no idea I had X, Y, and Z going on. I listened to this physician uh, chat on AOL. I went and talked to my doctor about it. Sure enough, it led to a diagnosis. Uh, I remember one lady that had fibromyalgia and mm -hmm. suffered for years and didn't really know what was going on with, with her body. And um, because of this physician expert said, you know, if you're having problems with X, Y, and Z, think about this. And, you know, go get the following test and see if it's impacting you. And sure enough, it did. And, you know, um, I, I keep some of those emails from people that said, you know, it, this changed my life, this content, this service, you know, uh, really impacted my life. So oh, that's awesome. I think that's the fuel that can keep you going in these situations. Like you're obviously extremely passionate about healthcare, but I feel like when there's technology as part of it, you forget about that patient experience. You forget about the real impact you're making. Whereas like my sister's a nurse at Vanderbilt. She sees it firsthand every day, patient care, helping people to get healthy. You can lose that in tech. So the fact that you are intentional about staying close to that, keeping the emails, I think that's all what just fuels the fire and brings more purpose to your business. So yeah, and uh, we even set some goals this year uh, to impact 50,000 lives. And so cool. we're tracking and measuring the patients that we predict are going to have these disease states and then seeing that they actually got the care that they needed. That's very cool. So then new partnership with Huron. Can you give us a little bit of the genesis of how that relationship kind of came to be? I know it's a very close working partnership, which is what made sense for you guys to join forces, but we'll love a little bit the background of how you guys came together. Yeah, almost four years ago, we did our first project okay. together. Uh, project worked out really, really well. Uh, client was super happy. Huron was happy. We were happy. It was just that win, win, win situation. And um, we, we, kept in touch, kept working towards uh, different uh, client opportunities. But really in 2021, our uh, uh, partnership really grew. Uh, we did almost 20 something projects last year together across the country. And many of these projects were big significant projects at, at Huron. And we were playing a data role in the back end to organize data, look through the data and provide insights as to what we saw going on in their communities. And then as we you know, kept, kept repeating this formula for success, 
um, it became you know apparent that there's a greater opportunity for a tighter partnership and and we talked through what made sense and eventually we we settled on uh, acquisition to fold our whole team in and it was really about the capabilities that that we can bring to Huron and for them it's about scale so how do we scale up our vision that we had in that very first uh, moment of starting the company and and get to that end state where we have a healthcare system that is transforming how we think about care today so that you have the highest quality outcome at the lowest possible cost. And, and it's only if we get to that state that, that all of us can, can call it a done day. Awesome. And now you're an entrepreneur again. I love that <laughs> you're, you guys are still all working towards the same goal together. And I'm sure you'll be off to your next adventure at some point. But for now, it seems like the missions are still so well aligned that you guys are just continuing to move and serve customers like you have been for the last four years. Yeah, and um, I, you know, I, th I think we have an opportunity with Huron uh, to really be more curious and get more stuff done. Uh, those were the two cultural impacts that our company had, and that curiosity is shared. Um, I've, I've met so many smart people at Huron over the last thirty days that I that I didn't know before. We've gone from like three or four people interacting to 500 people interacting in 30 days. So uh, it's, it's been really exciting. At the same time, uh, there are uh, projects and opportunities, both with clients and internal, where we can contribute some of our knowledge base uh, to solving those problems. And so I think I, I will get a lot of opportunities to be entrepreneurial minded and look for um, ways to impact uh, patient lives through through the customers that we work with. It's very cool. And anytime there's, I feel like a, I'm gonna call it a transition of power for lack of a better term, but there's just a shift in how your teams are gonna work together. And there's obviously a business component to it all. A key part of it, which I'm sure you've learned through all your different entrepreneurial adventures is taking care of your people and retaining talent, taking care of your talent. Can you talk a little bit about things you've learned, maybe the more painful lessons or the better lessons of how you keep your good people, how you keep them engaged, how you keep them curious and just continue to have that innovation culture day in and day out? Yeah, I think, I think there's a couple of consistent themes related to that. Uh, to your point, our whole team came over uh, which has been exciting. So uh, we are we were all just meeting together face to face on Tuesday at the uh, at the Technology Council. We still yes. rent space back from there. So talk about full circle uh, coming cool. around. Um, but one of the things that uh, one of the employees said is, you know, I I love that you are constantly challenging us to think about a new project to have ownership in and do R and D and see it all the way through the end. Well, what happens out of that is people have to go back and get some education. They either have to watch podcasts like this. They have to go do some physical in-classroom training at a Belmont or Vanderbilt. And, uh, but, but we encourage that and support that. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, it's about uh, the employees and the customers and that human relationship that comes, that comes through with that. And as long as people know we're trying to solve these problems together, 
things work out pretty well. And I think if you can give them a line of sight to that kind of frontline experience we were talking about earlier of like how you're actually impacting healthcare and patients, that would be a lot more fuel to the fire for these folks who maybe just think they're only writing code some days and don't really get to see it all full circle. And so if there's ways that you can keep these folks really close to the overall impact you're making in healthcare, that would be, I think, a great engagement tool. Well, and I'll, I'll tell you a little funny uh, story. So one of our clients, one of our favorite clients we love to talk to every week, uh, they call us data ninjas. And yes. so they, they eventually want to become ninjas. Well, our, our service awards that we just introduced uh, at our annual uh, event with all the employees, we gave out ninja swords, real swords, yes. kind of scary, uh, but real swords to uh, represent that service. And, you know, when you, when you stick around five, seven, eight years at a company, like, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours, you, you, you become an expert, right? And so we've got people on our team now, right now that, that know as much about infusion therapy as anybody in the country, because we're looking at so much data across so many different levels of an organization. That's very cool. They're linchpins of the industry. That's very cool. Yeah. Those are hard people to get and keep though. So I commend you for putting them first and doing things like the awards to make sure they feel fully appreciated and stay engaged. Yeah, and I, uh, probably half of my delivery team that I manage have all come through our internship program uh, okay. who, who have now been here five and six years. So they started off as interns, spent the summer with us. We gave them a project. I, I treat internships probably different than a lot of people. I want them to own something that is not critical, meaning if it doesn't get done, it's not going to hurt the organization. But it's something that will contribute to our success and give them ownership of that. And they have to deliver it and present on it at the end of their internship back to the company of what they learned. And mm -hmm. so um, our team has come through that program uh, and we've invested in their growth. And to your point, you know, some of them um, are, are truly leaders in the organization or leaders in Nashville today. And um, you know, have a, an amazing career path ahead of them. Very cool. So when you're bringing in an intern or maybe even a, an employee that's maybe more senior in their career, is it personality you're looking at? Is it skill set you're looking at? Character traits, values, like what A, helps you find these people that then stick with you for six, seven, eight years, and maybe even, I don't know if this has happened in your case, but go with you from company to company. Yeah, uh, there are, there's several people who work for me today that I've worked at, at they've worked for me at previous companies, one, like four different oh. companies. So uh, he's a glutton for punishment. Um, <laughs> and and I, so I think there's two things that I would say. One is I look for people who get shit done and have a lot of curiosity. That, that magic between those two things that you're getting accomplishments, but at the same time, always trying to look around the curve, right? And then the other thing, uh, Todd Charest, TC on our team uh, uses a term uh, that I like a lot, which is uh, we, we look for people who are hungry, humble, and smart. Uh, when we get that combination together, 
Uh, they fit in real well with our team. It's almost like magic. And then the last thing is really Dungeons and Dragons. So, you know, um, our, our whole team has these massive uh, outings where everyone gets together and uh, they have a good time and play D&D. And uh, I, I love that sort of subculture that we have as well at the company. That's really cool. I love that you've had these folks stay with you, A, for a long time or B, throughout different companies. That's pretty cool. So now more on the entrepreneurial vein, is there a time that you can think of where you took your biggest risk or maybe learned the most painful lesson throughout these different experiences that you maybe hope you never repeat again, but it was also career changing? Uh, wow, there's, there's actually been a couple. Um, I'll talk about a really exciting one and then I'll talk about a bad one because okay. you always learn. I always learn from both experiences. Um, so uh, the live birth uh, that we did at uh, the Health Network, uh, Liz Poole came to me one day while we were, I was literally there for about a month. And she goes, hey, I think we ought to do a live birth on te- television. And I, of course, I'm like, you're crazy. We'll never get this done. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. So she's like, great. Um, let's go talk to Dr. Walt Laramore. He was a family practitioner in Orlando. And uh, we talked to him and he goes, hey, that's a great educational opportunity. There is so much mystery around first childbirth and all of that. And so it really fit well into um, our mission and what we were trying to do. So as a result, uh, we had not one, but three women volunteer to have their birth uh, online. So, uh, and you'll appreciate this from your marketing background. I sent out a press release for about $500 and we wound up on ABC, NBC, Fox, CNN, Susan Candiotti, who's, who's like an awesome reporter, was literally on my shoulder the whole day. And so the internet in 98, wow. we did 1.4 million video streams in four hours. Um, that was before YouTube, right? So uh, the internet at that point was still a little jerky and we, we used real networks uh, to produce that event on. And uh, I just remember answering like, once again, what's a mouth, uh, trying to explain how video streaming works to people who don't understand how the internet works. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, it was a pretty interesting experience. Sounds like though risky, successful though. Risky and highly successful. Uh, Mm -hmm. Fox television came and started knocking on our door about 30 days later. And we wound up selling the business to Fox and WebMD. And it was, it was a truly a great exit for everybody involved. That's very cool. And then, you know, on the, on the not great side, um, I was, I was asked to take over an organization in, you know, 2008, and when I got there, once again, the vision that everyone, board members, members uh, were asking me to execute wasn't consistent with the talent that was at the company. And so I had to make a harsh decision to basically get rid of half of my team uh, about a month and a half into the job. And that was very scary because A, I didn't know who was going to do the work. Um, B, uh, it was a public profile. So lots of people are like, what the hell's going on? You know, like, but I'm like, you know, just hang with me. Let's get through the brand. Uh, let's execute on our vision. And so 
it wound up accelerating. Uh, it's grown to incredible heights now. There's 20 staff members now and, you know, lots of great growth, uh, lots of um, big impact in the city. And so there, there is a time when you have to come back and prune a little bit so that you can get more growth. It's always painful on what you just said, which is people are the most important part of the organization. Um, but at times, I do think you have to look to a larger vision and, you know, good to great all taught us like, you know, who needs to be on the bus and what seat do you need to be in? And that's a really great exercise um, that all organizations ought to go through sooner rather than later. Yeah, or else they're forced to. So uh, recent news that comes to mind is Peloton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> have you been keeping tabs on on their crazy? I have, you know, um, I, I actually watched the television show that that sort of prompted some of this craziness. And mm. I'm like, whoa, that is not good. And sure enough, like there's been this cascading impact. And then you find out all this other stuff going on and, you know, crazy. I didn't even know they had as many employees as they let go to start. Right. So that was crazy. And um, yeah, it's interesting to see a company have such highs and very fast lows. Yeah. And, you know, the media impacts a lot of business strategy. And so uh, the importance of being socially aware right now is probably at an all time high. Oh, I absolutely agree. So let's talk about Todd Featherling when he's not working, <laughs> uh, which I don't think is very often, but like you just have a ridiculous amount of interest and energy. And I feel like side hustle as much as people that don't have as demanding of day jobs so much so that like, I always thought it was interesting. At one point you owned the Nashville Broadway downtown Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> like that's so great you could be down on broadway drinking beers and todd featherling put some wi-fi in place for your phone i just think that's great well and uh i was at the tech council at the time i uh, was in a meeting in the west coast and uh this company super young workforce um was going through a list of requirements and wi-fi free wi-fi downtown was one of their requirements and oh, wow. Ralph and Janet look at me and like, hey, can you do something about that? And I'm like, sure, no problem. I have no idea like what I'm going to do. So uh, I called Google uh, because of our partnership. Uh, they use Meraki, uh, which mm -hmm. was these great radios. And so I put one up on top of uh, the Commerce Building, uh, which was where the Chamber of Commerce was, and uh, lit up Broadway and put repeaters out and sure enough in the first you know month like traffic went crazy right mm -hmm. and so then we're like oh there's probably a business opportunity here uh eventually the tech council didn't want to be climbing towers like i was that like i did when i was at the tech council uh but i got to see a lot of great views of nashville that nobody else gets to see um, cool. like up in the bridgestone tower is an awesome view down broadway by the way a little scary getting up there um, but that's where one of the radios is today. I bought it from the tech council and then, uh, subsequently I sold that business, uh, to Josh Drummond over at Bedrock and he runs it today. The CVB wound up being our, our sole sponsor of the program. And so okay. you'll, you'll find this hilarious as well. Uh, but they ask us 
for the last three or four years to also do New Year's Eve events that moved wow. over to the farmer's market. And so we put uh, the mesh network over at the farmer's market as well for New Year's Eve. Oh, very cool. Yeah. That's the only awesome. problem is you got to get up at 6 a.m. and get your radios down before they start breaking everything down. And the day it was eight mm. degrees, that was not much fun. No. Yeah, you'll remember that one. <laughs> what are some of the other side hustles maybe that people would be surprised to know about? Well, you're probably going to be surprised at this next answer. But uh, right now, uh, I'm, I'm serving as the president of Tennessee Hems, and that's sort of very cool. uh, my volunteer activities to give back to the community. And then uh, I've also been helping the bishop and, and our priests at church uh, launch a new Catholic church over in Nolansville that Father Anthony uh, will be uh, managing that parish over there. And so uh, those are sort of the, the things that I do to keep myself uh, connected back to the community right now. And then, you know, 100% focused on helping Huron grow um, this care transformation business, which, which you know, I, I think is, is going to impact, you know, millions of lives across the country. Is there an element of self-care and where you have to stop and, like, watch your health, watch your sleep, watch your routine and make sure that you can, like, knock it out of the park with all these things? Is there, like, a very regimented you know, system that you follow day in and day out? I, I do. I uh, start every morning with a power hour is what I call okay. it. Uh, get up, uh, read the Bible, uh, have some spiritual connectivity, try to get some exercise in. Um, I've, I've never sort of needed a whole lot of rest or sleep. Uh, I'm starting to learn more about sleep as I get a little older. So um, if, if I can get, you know, six and a half, seven hours of sleep, that's pretty awesome. Uh, and so uh, I think where it comes down to is what I call time shifting and sort of the natural uh, cadence. Like I am super focused, organized, and like to work from, you know, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. At 10 a.m., I need a little bit of a break, right? Uh, so whether that's uh, um, getting up and taking a walk around the neighborhood, which I think has been the most awesome thing about COVID. Like people in my neighborhood never used to walk. Over the last two years, everybody's walking. Like there are people out all the time, day and night now walking. And so I, I think in some regards, um, people have rediscovered their neighborhoods uh, because we've spent a lot more time at home over the last two years. And then I think, you know, the other interesting thing is all of the work from home. I think is going to create a whole new, and I don't, I don't even know what to call it or what it looks like, but there's going to be a whole new connective tissue that communities and individuals have to form in this, in this post-COVID world. Oh, I totally agree. But I think people have done a good job, at least my experience with the companies that I've worked for through the season of giving you space to breathe and take a break and like not just overkill it. Like granted, you're more available now. And, and I think we are more productive when we work more, but there's also been like mental health days and good ways to like, just take a break, shift your focus. Yeah. Well, and uh, going back to Huron, one thing I really love about what they do for employees and giving back, um, they have a whole eye care initiative. 
which is volunteering in your community. So many of our team members um, about two weeks ago went to Second Harvest Food Bank in the freezer and uh, reorganized the food. And you know that volunteer time is, is acceptable. Like we want you to be involved in your communities and do the things that you do. And I think that's really um, a great step by Huron uh, to give room to people, not only for mental health days, but also giving back. You know, we, I've learned so much from giving back to the community over the years. I, I don't think I'd be where I am today if it, if it wasn't some of the volunteer activities at Safe Haven, the Technology Council, Tennessee Hymns, et cetera. Oh, I think that's what's so special about Nashville is that there's a culture of lots of leaders doing that and participating and, you know, showing the way for their team, their employees to also do the same. And so that's something super special and near and dear to my heart about Nashville. And like, if we could replicate that all over the world, I think it would be a different place. Yeah, I think that giving back in the collaboration that I think stems out of the songwriter collaboration that goes on in this town permeates all through business as well. And uh, it's, it, it does make Nashville a bit unique. One of my favorite places. So Todd, I have one final question for you. I feel like some of the answer might've been interlaced throughout our conversation because it's just who you are. But if you could say one principle that has defined your success in business, what would it be? Oh, one principle. Um, I, I, I think it's probably going to be get shit done. Uh, I just focus every day on tactically doing what I need to do to get through that day and trying to live more in the moment. Uh, you know, we, we've sort of given 24 hours a day. And if we think about what we can do today, and it's a little less daunting to have to think about what I got to do five years from now. Um, you know, I think that's um, uh, sort of a constant. And then uh, I know you only asked for one, but I, I would say number two would be learning. Uh, it's just, so important to constantly, um, especially in data and healthcare, things are moving so fast. If you're not keeping up with all of the information and the new processes, it, 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 gets, um, it gets daunting to try to catch up. Oh, I totally would agree. On principle number one, I have a, a part two question to it though, because I think <laughs> the one barrier for me to every day getting my whole to-do list accomplished can be like emotions and distractions. So how does that come into play, especially when you're managing a team, when maybe you just don't feel it, or it's just like, it's not your day. Do you push through that? Or is there ways that you figured out how to balance, you know, maybe taking it into bite-sized pieces? Uh, so I, I push through it, but to get there, I go for a long walk. Uh, a hike, a run or something. I got to get out into nature. Um, and if, if I had, I had one of those days this week where my energy was low following a big high day, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Tuesday with all the team, we're all excited. We got all this stuff going on. I'm so jazzed up. Um, but as an extra, as an introvert, uh, you know, I need a little downtime after that, like after eight hours with a lot of people, like I'm sucked dry and, and got to recharge my battery. So, uh, I got up first thing, got out, got some exercise and all of a sudden, you know, by 10 o'clock, I'm 
I'm ready to go again. And uh, so I think I think you you hit on a really important point, which is to know yourself. Uh, and some people probably think it's uh, what is it, ballyhooey uh, uh, of like knowing your circadian rhythms. Like I, yep. after you know being at this for 20 years in the entrepreneurial space, I know pretty well where my limits are and where they're not. Uh, I push those limits occasionally, and that that's probably not healthy, but. Uh, uh, I also know like, you know, I'm not a, at a good mental place to create new things today. So I need to step back and go get some work work done that I need to follow up, do correspondence and those kinds of things. And then when that energy level does come back, then that's the time to go create new things and push to the edge. That's good. Yeah. That's what I've noticed is when there's too much forcing the situation the quality just changes. So for me, it's better to shift my focus or yes, going to do something active is huge and find when I'm back in that space, but it's protecting that space and making sure that when you have that next available space, you've prioritized then what you wanted to accomplish that maybe didn't happen based on the state you were in at that time. That's a really good point. Well, you're fabulous, Todd. This was so much fun. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, yes, I, I wish we were over a glass of wine in New York City, but, uh, you know, hey, soon. So when it warms up, you are more than welcome. All right. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, have a great rest of your week. We'll talk soon. All right. Thank you.